Hey, you're here. Welcome to the podcast. The two of us met in person for the first time when we competed on season one of Holy Moly in the United States. But both of us have been playing, documenting, and enjoying miniature golf across the globe for years. I'm Tom, and I go by the moniker Mr. T, with my partner Robin, known as the Pink Putter. We are a couple of putts. The two of us have built, designed, and consulted on mini golf holes and courses all over the planet. We've also joyfully and visually documented the game of mini golf and traveled to hundreds of courses around the world. You can find what we do over at a couple of and on social media on all the platforms. And now, my co host. I'm Pat Sheridan, and in the mini golf circles, I'm known as the Putting Penguin. And with my friend Mandy, we've been running the Putting Penguin, the mini golf course review website, for over 20 years, adding various social media aspects along the way. Our philosophy is life is short, play mini golf. I've also played competitive mini golf for nearly 20 years, competing in several tournaments each year. Together, Tom and I used to be the live show, We're Gonna Need a Bigger Windmill, and we're now bringing our insight to a podcast format. You can, have, you can find videos of our live streaming episodes up on our respective Facebook and YouTube channels. We had lots of holy moly talk, fun guests, and we even did a best of 2020 episode. And our impetus for that initial mini golf talk show came from messaging each other a lot about season one of Holy Moly. We were excited for season two and thought there was no better thing to do at the beginning of a pandemic than to try something new out. We ended up recapping all of season two, talked with competitors from both US seasons, and really enjoyed it. Thought we'd move to the podcast format since we both listen to a lot of podcasts and we both have pretty great faces for radio. We have the unique perspective of competing on Holy Moly, and in my case, I got to see a few of the matches live during Season 2. We know how cold the water is, how the pressure feels to compete in front of cameras and audiences, and what it's like to win a match in that magical environment. We just can't get enough of this unique competition format on a one-of-a-kind course. We're going to ask for grace on this podcast on the audio side of things. Neither of us are audio pros, but we want this to sound good. We'll be getting our sea legs, so stick with us. Our plan is to bring mini golf chatter to your ears regularly. So with these first full episodes of the podcast, we're going to talk about the new episodes airing of Holy Moly down in Australia. This episode is going to be a little longer as the rest than the rest as we go through some of these foundational items with you. Thanks to the wonders of technology, we've actually been able to track down the episodes and watch them from here in the States. And uh, so this is our first time doing the audio-only shows. We're going to encourage you to follow along in our podcast social media accounts where we'll be sharing the visuals that we're going to talk about in the new season in case um, you haven't been able to watch them over a VPN or if you're not in Australia yourself. So to kick it off, um, for our listeners who were able to view the first couple of seasons of Holy Moly in the U.S., there's some key differences between what the U.S. version brought and what we've been seeing in the Aussie version. So the, the first one is the format of time for the broadcasts. The Aussie version's an hour and a half with about an hour of pure runtime uh, versus the U.S., which was an hour, which boils down to about 45 minutes post-commercials. The Aussie version's also 
airing their episodes super quick. So we were getting three episodes the very first week that it goes out, one day after another, and then we're getting another three episodes the second week, one day after another. Whereas in the U.S., we had our kind of standard once a week, all throughout the summer, leading up to the grand finale. Format of the play is a little bit different in terms of how the... Uh, tournament itself during an episode works. So at the end, we are going to see a distractor duel every episode that takes the losers of the semifinals and helps them to determine who the third person is going to be in the final. So a little bit of a redemption arc here on each episode, which is kind of cool. The show itself was filmed in Australia back in October. Uh, They had originally planned and had actually flown people out to the U.S. back in early March of 2020 to do the season on the same setup that the U.S. version had had. But as we all know, in March of 2020, this little thing called COVID came along and interrupted the filming. Uh, So they threw themselves a little audible as Aussie and New Zealand got their stuff together later in the year and were able to film down there. And the final big change is the dollar amount for the winners. So they've been hyping up a $100,000 purse for the final episode, which is in Australian dollars and translates to about $75,000, here in the U.S. versus the $250,000 that the U.S. competitors were playing for earlier in 2020. Now, each of the episode winners still get their golden punter in a plaid jacket, which is really what all of us would be playing for, because I know had I been lucky enough to win, I would have been wearing that plaid jacket everywhere. I'd be wearing that plaid jacket right now if I had it, and that golden putter would probably be in my Zoom background. Uh, Just a few other general notes that we wanted to make sure before we recap. I think it goes without saying, but obviously we're going to be giving a lot of spoilers from the matches of these episodes that we're going to be recapping. We're going to tell you who won. We're also going to be referencing previous iterations of some of these holes that were on the U.S. episodes and probably from previous Australian episodes once we get further down the road. Um, And we can't really go super deep and give you a full description of the holes because this is an audio only format. We're going to try to share some of the visuals and links out to some of the competitors that are on this season down in Australia via social media. And we'll eventually have and hopefully have some of the uh, competitors from this season down in Australia to talk about their experiences in standalone episodes. We did this with our previous Holy Moly talk show, and we had a lot of fun doing it. So now we're on to the the quick and dirty recap of the episodes, kind of calling it our Holy Moly scramble time. And we're going to recap all eight of the matches, and I'm going to kick it off. And as it seems fitting, the first hole is Dutch Courage. We start off with a 23... 23-year-old women's golf pro in Australia named Montana versus a 48-year-old stay-at-home mom who does Tai Chi to relax herself, not Chai Tea, as Rob Riggle had joked. Uh, they On Dutch Courage, they hit the ball under two oversized windmills towards a cup on a slope, and they have to then run through two, those two large windmills. And if they get knocked by either 
knocked off by either of those windmills to stroke penalty for every time they get knocked off. This style of hole has been on every version of Holy Moly that's aired so far. The difference with this versus season one and two is it's not over water like in season two, and there isn't a small windmill between the two big windmills like there was on season one in the US. Uh, Both Montana and Donna make a really good attempt at the cup and come close to acing the hole. And after strapping on the milkmaid-themed helmets that they have to wear to go through the windmills and avoid those blades, which, let's be honest, those helmets were necessary because both of them got whacked off by each windmill, setting them up at three stroke as they attempted to finish the hole. Uh, Donna missed. Montana made it. So Montana uh, advanced to the next hole in the next round of Holy Moly. So next up, we have Polcano, which was a U.S. Season 2 hole that debuted. And that's pretty simple in its concept. You have a Plinko style at the beginning to give yourself a position of where you're going to be in the green. And then you go flying down a zip line on a pole and try to hang on to what is essentially a very large telephone pole. And so in this uh, episode, we had Colette, who was our first mini golf uh, mention of the season. She was the Australian number one female miniature golf also known as the Aussie Queen of Mini Golf, and maybe one day we'll introduce her to our own U.S. Queen of Mini Golf, Robin Ventura, good friend of both of ours. And she was up against Vincent, who is a rapper, and in my opinion, the second best nickname in the game behind the putting penguin, it was Vincent Van Gogh, which really does roll off the tongue. So the two of them went up on the Plinko style. Colette got a hazard section. Vincent went into the rough, so neither of them getting the good pole position down at the green. Vincent had a shot at grabbing onto the pole, and Colette had no shot, slammed. Her shoe even went flying off. And so an amazing visual uh, made for television right there. As they got down to the green, both were putting from, you know, hazard sand areas, uh, depending on where they ended up being. Vincent blew his shot way past the cup. Colette had a lot of pace on hers, but was really lucky, knocked the back of it, had an easy putt to get in. She moved on to the next round. Uh, My favorite thing about watching this hole for the first time in this episode, Tom mentioned the the crash helmets that were made up like the milkmaids. These were just straight up, holy moly, branded crash helmets on the Polcano people, and I, I was here for it. Yeah, the helmets are definitely necessary this season. And we move on to our next hole, which is... Uranus. And I forgot to mention in the beginning, but there's like the big intro that they have that's a faux Disney Rob Riggle standing in front of a mini course where he introduces his Australian co-host, Sonia and Matt Shervington, who goes by Shervo, although, of course, Riggle intentionally botches him and calls him Shrivo. For this hole on Uranus, you have to kind of get past the punny setup by Riggle, Sonia, and Shervo. And what you end up with is a matchup between James and Mario. Mario is from the metro area. He's a real estate agent. James is a farmer from out in Western Australia who's a dancing farmer. Uh, and it's sort of like the city versus the, the country matchup. Uh, Uranus, this is a massive... Uh, version of the planet that has uphill rings going up to about 30 feet tall. Players hit up around the arched rings and try to hit the channel on the far right to get close to the pup. A sand trap awaits for the ball if the ball comes off the rings far too fast. After putting, 
players traverse wipeout style obstacle balls shaped like the planet. Simple enough, I think. Uh, although those obstacles this season compared to last look way difficult. I'll be very curious to see how many people actually get through it. But we end up with James and Mario both making it over. And despite James getting in that little channel that gives it a shot for a hole in one, both him and Mario are probably sitting about 10 to 12 feet out. Um, as I mentioned, those obstacles are not easy. Uh, James makes it a little bit further than Mario, but they both end up in the drink. James made it all the way to the last planet, Mars, which, boy, it seemed like about an eight-foot jump, and that's going to be a hard one to complete. I almost feel like you just have to quick bounce off it and get across. Um, if you watch Wipeout, this hole will probably make a lot of sense visually if you put that in your head. Um, we get to the putting, and James has a narrow miss. They're both kind of on the edge of the sand. And Mario comes really close and leaves it short. And then on his short putt, he loses after he's dripping on the course. I will say it was really hard to tell whether or not when Mario missed that putt at the end, if he had actually missed that putt or if they went into a putt off. One thing that we're going to kind of allude to is that being that there's a little bit of TV magic that some of these holes might be going to longer putt-offs where people might have gone six or seven putts back and forth. We've seen this ourselves and most people don't really want to watch it. So I get why they would edit it out. But this, there's like a weird angle where I think Mario might've lost in a putt-off. It was a great match, but James, the dancing cowboy moves on to the next round. All right. And we are now at our fourth and final hole of the first round and it's called Parbecue. Which, if you've seen season two of US, it's kind of a retread a little bit of the Buns and Wieners hole, similar theme and setup that they had there. Um, basically, hit it over a rotating contraption, and then you had to get yourself over uh, what is a uh, rotating set of food. And in this version, it was a prawn, a sausage, and a piece of corn, whereas we just had wieners in the US. Don't know what that says about us. Our two contestants for this particular hole, we had Christopher, who is a poker tournament director, and what I think is a pretty unfortunate nickname of Fat Crumpet, but man, that dude owned it, which was awesome. And then we had Danielle, or Danny, um, an ex-gymnast. She loves golf and uh, personally love her attitude because she was there for the beer and the outfits, and uh, she was rocking it in her outfit, too, as she played this hole um, going at, uh, for the season. So we had a decent shot for a shot for Fat Crumpet. Um, left him a, a pretty good shot at the raised napkin plateau piece of the hole, uh, but he fell just absolutely horribly trying to get onto the prawn going over. Uh, Danny had a little bit more unfortunate shot, and it's actually the first time we've seen this with this hole where it was really nestled behind the, the knife setup. Um, so not a really great clear shot at the uh, hole. Um, she could have maybe saved herself, got her in a better position if she got over, but the sausage did her in, so they're both sitting with penalty strokes. There's a little bit of battle as they got up to the, the actual napkin, and uh, Crumpet had what I would have said was a rather makeable putt and blew it way past the hole, leaving Danny a pretty easy uh, couple putts in to seal the deal, move on to the semifinal round. Um, I just love that Riggle brought 
some of his U.S. sensibilities when talking about the hole and committed to the bit that people died when they fell off the food and into the barbecue pit. So always a funny joke. I love a good running joke from Mr. Riggle, and we are sure to hear more of those as the season goes on. And that wraps up our first round. Indeed, that wraps up our first round. And we're right back with Danny, who is on Barbecue, playing against the Dancing Cowboy James on Put the Plank. Uh, this is, as the name kind of alludes to, a pirate-themed hole on a really cool pirate ship. It looks really well-designed. The competitors have an off-camera putt-off to determine whether Deadeye Dicko, and Dicko is this former Australian TV and radio host that seems sort of disgruntled and not uh, super happy about being there. He's the stand-in for what John Lovitz was on season two of the US version. Deadeye Dicko, depending on the placement that people had on the putt-off, chips the ball across this large lagoon on the other side of the ship towards the cup with either one eye patch or two eye patches, depending on where the player landed. The players need to travel across the water on a shark. Uh, players need to travel across the water, not on a shark, but on a shark, to avoid a stroke penalty if they fall in the water. Danny does her best job at trying to run off the plank and get on the shark, and does a lovely face face plant. Meanwhile, James rides the shark safely to the other side and does a little dance on it. Danny narrowly and painfully misses a ten foot putt. That could have given a little bit more of a chance for her to win it. But James finishes it off in two, uh, wins the hole with two putts versus Danny with four putts. And James is the first to move on to the finale of this episode. And this hole, we'll have a lot to say about it in design later on down the road as we'll do each episode. But this is one that's really fun to watch. So hopefully you get to see some of the highlights of this. And that brings us to the second semifinal, which is a hole that both Tom and I are very familiar with. Um, and you would have seen me face plant quite a few times if you've watched my episode in season one. It's slip and putt. Uh, another staple now of all three seasons, like Dutch Courage. Uh, there's some minor changes they did to the layout. Like Tom said, we'll probably dive into that a little bit later in other episodes. Um, but for the most part, it's pretty straightforward. Run up a lubed mountain. First person gets a better shot at hitting their ball back down the hole to the to the green and second person's got a little bit more of a rebounding shot which really one of the changes here is i think they made it a little bit simpler than we saw in the first couple seasons certainly than it was in season one that had a ridiculous kind of triple rebound that once again our friend the actual queen of mini golf robin ventura did with style and grace in her episode uh, so what we had here was we had Montana, who was the Dutch Courage winner, up against Colette, who had won Volcano. And, you know, they went. And one of the things about the longer format is we definitely got to see more of the trying to get up the hill than we had in the U.S., which means a lot more place plants, a lot more sliding down in that lube. Montana got up. She got the, the better position. Uh, Colette had actually a good rebound shot, but just not enough to get down the hill on her first shot. So she had to... Hit two from up at the top. Montana used her advantage to get down and had a really good bounce off the wall, um, putting it very near to the cup, made it a pretty easy tap in with Colette having um, taken that extra stroke up on top. And Montana moved her way onto the final as two of our three finalists now. 
And, uh, you know, again, I just love some of the changes. I think one of the biggest ones that just really tied it all together was making the actual green at the bottom ice colored the way the rest of the, the mountain was, which was different than U.S. And uh, they also made the first reference to big golf, which is what Tom and I call the regular game of golf all the time, since we're mini golf enthusiasts. So appreciate some of that creeping into the particular show here. Now, before we get to our final, we're going to do a little bit of dissecting the distractor. And this is going to be my bit for every episode here because I was fortunate enough to play the distractor on my episode. I was not fortunate enough to win my distractor. My particular distraction was a group of paparazzi with a rolled out red carpet. Um, And it was actually incredibly fun. I actually ended up getting one of the pictures from the paparazzi uh, over social media a couple weeks after the episode aired. So it was cool, cool little thing to do. Um, shouts out to Diane who beat me and ended up winning her episode there. We had a lot of fun on this whole, so I'm going to be breaking it down. And we had Colette and Danielle who were the losers from the previous semifinal going for that last spot in the final. And our distraction was Joe Dulce and the song shut up of your face. And my initial reaction was no idea until he started singing. And I was like, oh, wait, I have definitely heard this song before. And apparently it spent like eight weeks on the Aussie number one uh, billboard spot, which is crazy. Uh, I don't want to read too much into it, but it feels problematic in these days, given uh, the lyrics and the uh, particular accenting going on. But hey, the audience seemed to love it. It's like it's a catchy beat. And uh, in terms of the play, you know, Danielle got her first shot in, little side cup drama. Colette couldn't end up matching. Um, There was a Riggle bear reference, which is, again, a running bit for him in terms of he just wants to see bears on the distractor, which, you know, love him for that as well. And there was a a new target on the green that kind of bullseyed it as well, which I thought was kind of cool visually um, for the viewing audience, added a little bit of flair there. Overall, because I'm the putting penguin, I gave it two out of five fish. It was kind of funny, but honestly, it didn't actually seem all that distracting just having a guy sing. And um, I know a lot of us actually listen to music while we're putting and stuff. So that could have been a benefit for there. But hey, you know, it was a good start to the season, at least. And uh, our Aussie fans seem to make the most out of it. Yeah, I, I think that song would have been a distraction to me. That was I don't know if I'd heard that song or not playing it on the ukulele. Maybe it sounded different just being solo, but oof. But uh, we have our fi- we have our finale of our first episode, and it's three people. Uh, three people is the format of season one of Holy Mole in the United States. They had three people competing on one hole to finish off the episode. Adds a little bit more drama when you have a third person there and potential where if one person really uh, doesn't play well, that you still get two competing against each other. And the nice thing about our final hole is a completely new hole that hasn't been on any of the seasons of Holy Moly called Foul Play. I'll talk more about the design of Foul Play shortly, but the hole generally is a classic barn farm themed mini golf hole where you put up a ramp into a hen house. You have three different paths to the green that run across uh, and then the contestants have to run across a spinning log to get to the green. If they fall off the log, they get a stroke penalty. Both 
Danny and James the Dancing Cowboy hit the right channel of the three channels, which hits the ball into a costumed character chicken that got hit in the head and hit in the eggs and is really annoyed. And I think is kind of the villain of the episode and looks a little goofy. Um, Both of them then had to try to attempt to run across the spinning log. And both of them fell well short, fell in a pit of feathers and got covered. Our 20-something Montana Strauss was the last to go of the episode. She hits the ball down the middle channel, lands it right down uh, into the cup for an ace and becomes the first of our 10 episode winners for the Australian Holy Moly that will advance to the season finale to play for $100,000 Australian. And that's our episode. And I didn't put this in our uh, show notes, Pat, but I feel like for our recap, if we have any extra thoughts, just to say, did I miss anything? So did I miss anything, Pat? Whew. You know, I don't I don't know that you missed anything. Get some good notes this time around. Um, I would say, no, no, you threw me off. Nothing on the show notes. I, I got I got nothing for you. I'll ask you, did I miss anything? I don't really think you missed anything. I think we uh, covered it really well. And the only thing I would have mentioned was on barbecue. I noted the uh, the use of a lot of Australian slang with the snags for sausage and the chook, which I had to look up for chicken, the spinning barbecue thing that had the chicken on it. I guess chook is like a slang for chicken. Who would have known? A lot of Googling, and as I uh, mentioned to my wife as I was watching the episode, I realized that once this show does go more international, we're going to have to learn more languages because we're lucky that they speak English on the Australian version. And even that, I had to Google some stuff. So uh, that that's future Tom and Pat's problem. <laughs> well, uh, our other running bit that we're going to have for every episode that we alluded to earlier is we're going to have design time with Mr. T and that's me. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, my wife and I do mini golf design and consultation and we're going to, I'm going to look at a whole every episode and talk about it a little bit more detail on the design. And of course I had to select foul play because it's the first and maybe the only truly new hole this season. And it's, you know, like I said, take on a classic red, big red barn hole that you know, has a number of paths coming out of it. Sometimes the barns have, you know, things that are trying to block the path in, but this is just a upward slope that you're hitting it into. And then it breaks into three different directions, depending on which chute you get it through. The nice thing about this, this becomes our first hole on Holy Moly, where we have a costumed character that I'd mentioned with the chicken. And so far that, you know, the the costumed character is not just, you know, in and around one of the holes, but it's actually placing the ball on the hazard which I thought was a really nice little interactive thing. Um, If you watch season two, Holy Moly in the US, there was a hole that they made fun of pretty regularly called Beaver Creek that was very similarly styled where you hit it into like a wooden uh, tree stump and that it breaks in three directions. And it had some little, you know, landscaping on the other side. But the big difference is, is that the hen house A looks better, but B, the log that's spinning is considerably longer. Almost everybody who went across the log on season two of Holy Moly in the US pretty much got across. 
in their first shot. Like no, I think maybe one or two people fell in. In this case, both, you know, two out of the three fell in and the third didn't even have to run across. I think a lot of people, frankly, given the distance of the spinning log, are going to fall in, which is great because we're going to see some people putting with a bunch of feathers all over them. They tar and feather them. But if you look really closely, a little like kind of chef's kiss to it is that there's like a little small vegetable garden and some sunflowers down in there. They really, you know, kind of put a, you know, the cherry on the sundae on a hole that's really a reimagining of, of a hole that didn't go over so hot in season two of Holy Moly. And it plays really, really close to a mini golf hole that you might see on a course otherwise. Other than you're probably not going to have to run across like a 20 foot long spinning log and potentially fall 15 feet. That's probably not something you'll see at a mini golf course unless they have an incredible insurance policy and make you sign a pretty aggressive waiver. But I'm looking forward to seeing foul play more, seeing if some people get it down that middle path that Montana did. And don't get a hole in one. It looked like it's got a pretty good path, but it had still another seven, eight feet to travel after it got out. So it'll be interesting if it's really set up to give you that guaranteed hole in one. And then there's in addition to the hazard where you have to hit out of a thicker patch of green, there is a sand trap. And it'll be interesting to see how both those hazard and sand trap play, because as of right now, we didn't get to see them play. We only really got to see people putt over to the other side. So. It'll be something to look forward for the rest of the season. But uh, yeah, that's all I've got for right now. That's design time with Mr. T. All right. And then to kind of wrap up the episode a little bit, you know, we're just going to shout out one of our favorite, either Riggle Roasts, Best Bits, or just one of our favorite moments of the episode that we didn't have a chance to touch upon when we did the recap. Uh, for me, I love the openings to these episodes, and right off the bat, they they called out Riggle as the greatest mini golf commentator of all time, and I have to say, I would agree. I would watch that man commentate any major tournament that I've ever been a part of. I have to comment on that, though. I find that hilarious that he's talking about being the greatest mini golf commentator while clearly like holding a driver, like he wasn't holding a putter, which makes it even that much more funny. Um, I thought one of the funniest bits was, is that during one of the holes, they were asking what something was made of. And I can't remember what it was, but they said, what is that? What is that they're wearing? Is that made of beaver? And Riggle's co-host, uh, Shervo said, we don't have beavers in Australia, which is like a thing I didn't know. It was like educational. And then Riggle's like, you don't? You, not even in Tasmania? But it's just like, yeah, it's part of Australia, but he's playing like the dumb American that like, frankly, probably most Americans don't understand the size of Australia and the expanse of it and all of the geography. So I thought that was pretty great. There's so many things uh, that Riggle did really well, but those are a couple of them. Yeah. And then another another thing that I had come up with that I kind of threw at Pat, and this is supposed to be on the spot, is like a take on would you rather. And so each episode, we're going to try to throw would you rather at each other based on would you rather like play one of the holes or do one of the obstacles or have something happen versus something else. And I'll, this will make sense maybe after Pat answers, but Pat, would you rather drink a pint of pickle juice than play Volcano 
And that's kind of a tongue twister, I guess. Oh, 100% pickle juice. I love pickles. I do not love getting my face planted into a telephone pole. I will take the pick, any type of pick, dill, sweet, bread and butter. Just give me the pickle juice. <laughs> that's the right answer. And I'm a massive pickle fan. I've, I'm not ashamed to admit that I had a pickle of the month club subscription that I joyfully devoured every month for half of a year. Um, and now uh, we're going to got a couple thoughts before we end the show on the larger miniature golf world. And we're going to start with some news in the miniature golf world. Uh, you're going to be hearing this in early February and hopefully after the 5th. And Dreamland, a new mini golf course outside of Austin and Dripping Springs will be open. They have two full 18-hole courses opening but to say that it's two 18-hole courses doesn't really give it the full expanse of what it is. We're going to be doing a review over on a couple of putts, but the one 18-hole course has three different pin placements, and the hardest pin placement is really, really difficult. And there's a couple of these holes that I think are probably like 150 to 200 feet long from T to pin. So keep an eye out for that. The place is really cool. It's got pickleball. It's got art. It's got a really cool tap room and a playground. And it's a place that if you're down in the Austin area, will be a must visit if you're a mini golf fan. Very cool. Uh, so mine's going to be a little bit of a downer, but I did want to do, do a shout out because of uh, what this man has meant to the game recently. So found out actually today, right before we were recording that John Forbes, who is the owner of Bluegrass mini golf in New Jersey passed away from cancer um, on Sunday. Uh, Bluegrass mini golf was the home of the 2014 and 2017 U.S. Opens. Um, there, it's actually the course I've done the best in the U.S. Open at. And John was somebody who was didn't really have a mini golf background. He was a horse trainer, had done a ton um, because Bluegrass is actually at Monmouth Park in New Jersey and embraced putting a mini golf course there it was an absolutely excellent course and he just was the greatest host he loved having the professionals there and he didn't care if you were the winner of the tournament or came in dead last he treated everybody as a professional um and you know i thought the 2014 was great when we came back in 2017 it was even better and the real real unfortunate thing is we were scheduled to have the u.s open there in 2020 and you know covid did that in so we all didn't have a chance to to reconnect with john um luckily john did get inducted into the us pmga which is the united states professional miniature golf association's hall of fame this past fall um, which is really cool so a little bit of bummer news but i did want to you know recognize him and what he has done for the sport and uh, he will be missed by everybody who had a chance to to interact with him here here yeah we definitely want to with the show um acknowledge and really pay homage to the people who joyfully run courses as well it's not a huge money maker and the people who do it really well are amazing hosts create a real sense of fun and we really appreciate what they do because without them we wouldn't get to play mini golf as much the last segment we have is big thoughts mini golf and i'm going to start off with this when mini golfing the color of the ball you may use may not improve your game but you'll look and feel better on the course when you pick a color that brings you joy and makes you smile. And I'll just leave it at that for the show today. 
And, and my thought to, to close it on out here, it actually comes from Paula Gay, who's one of the, the best female, one of the best overall mini golfers and putt putters of all time. And she told me early on that you should always wear the same shoes to practice that you're going to wear in the actual tournament so that you have everything consistent every round and every hole that you play and i've taken that to heart and always do that when i play a big major tournament too so shouts to paula and her piece of advice that i'm passing on and with that we've come to the end of our episode so until next time put one ready 